All right. If you guys open your Bibles this morning, we are going to be in chapter 2. And we're going to do verses 1 to 5 in 1 Corinthians. As you guys are opening there, just a quick little review up to this point. I'm never going to do a total review as we do this. That will be crazy. But I just want to recap a few things. So we've learned several things up to this point. We learned again that Paul was writing to a real church consisting of real people who have real problems and need real help, real solutions to these problems. And this letter, like all the epistles and the rest of Scripture, are for our help as the church and our guidance, especially as we live in a pretty sick and twisted world. So we need all the help that we can get. So the first area of correction that Paul gets into was what we call sectarianism. And this has to do with the act of excessively attaching oneself to a particular person or a particular party, right? In this case, it was, it was a, particular, uh, a particular teacher who was presenting the gospel and teaching them the good word of the Lord. And even though they were all teaching the same thing, they were, be, they, they were making divisions. And that's never a good thing. No one should ever be elevated to that level of elevation that only belongs to Jesus Christ, right? Now, it's not wrong, again, to attach, our, to attach ourselves to, to what, is, what is true, right? We want to attach ourselves to the truth that comes from the Lord, but we don't want to attach ourselves to a person, okay? We are attached to Jesus and Jesus alone. Then in verse 18 of chapter 1, he begins to talk about the wisdom of God in comparison to the wisdom of the world. And they are really contrary because Christ is out of the picture in the world. right? And from the world's perspective, what God says and His message of salvation through the cross work of Jesus Christ is utterly foolish. It's absolutely ridiculous whether you were the Greeks who prized wisdom, seeing this man that they've They've never really known someone from another country who is very small and puny in its own right, right? Who died uh, the death that heinous criminals die. This doesn't make any sense. It was ridiculous to the Jews who were waiting for this conquering king to come, this political hero. This didn't make any sense, right? But from God's perspective, the cross is the ultimate wisdom and power of God. And anyone who is a true member of the church of Jesus Christ understands how powerful that message is. Because life has been given to spiritually dead souls, right? And what also comes with salvation is that faith has been granted to them, which is assurance. We know from Scripture, faith is assurance, and the world doesn't have any assurance. They don't know what's going to happen when they die. They're, they have fear there's a fear of death within the world. Hope has been granted, which we know is confidence, right? Confidence that what God has said and what He has promised is ours. And of course, anytime you're talking about faith and hope, you have to talk about the peace of God that we all have in contrast to being at enmity with Him and God's abiding wrath being upon them, right? So, in contrast to the world who chooses things superficially, right? 
they were a witness that God oftentimes, in fact, I would say most of the time, saves just ordinary people, even the lowly type of people in this world. Again, for the purpose of only one person being glorified, and that's Christ alone. And we saw this, it's not a new thing. This has been humanity since the beginning. We can even go back to the beginning of Israel when they chose Saul, right? They looked at his appearance. He was taller than everyone, a head over. He seemed like he had great stature. He was a good-looking guy, but we knew that he was somewhat of a weakling of a man if he really learned about the man, okay? So God does things absolutely different so that no one can boast before his sight. So this morning, and really for the next few chapters, this theme of God's wisdom in comparison to the world's wisdom is going to keep coming up for the next few chapters, okay? So this morning... He's going to be continuing by reminding them of his methods of ministry, namely how he communicated the message of Jesus Christ. So why don't we read chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and then I will pray, and we will get started. And Scripture says this, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Let's pray. Well, Lord... We're here this morning, Lord God, as living testimonies of the power of the gospel that has reached every one of our lives, Lord God. We are now your children. We are now redeemed. We are now a new creation in Christ Jesus, Lord God, the most privileged people in this world, Father God. And we're here to gather to learn more about this this great salvation that you have given us, Lord God. We want to know more about you, our Lord you want to know we want to know even more about ourselves and so we can be reminded lord god of how much we still need you and how much we must depend on you for apart from you we can do nothing your word is very clear so lord we are relying on you this morning to teach us to guide us to strengthen us lord and to do all the things that only you can do and we'll praise you in advance and thank you in advance in jesus name Amen. All right. So verse 1, it says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming you the testimony of God. He says, I did not come with superiority of speech. In the Greek, it's literally, it's the word hyperosh, which literally means high-sounding words. Fancy, big, academic, maybe we can say, type of words. Things that would make the person speaking them being very eminent, right? If you think of the meaning of the word eminent just for a moment, it has to do with fame or recognized superiority, right? And Paul was indeed great. I mean, he was an apostle of the Lord. And in my opinion, I've said it many times... Uh, the greatest of all the apostles, as far as what he did, as far as being the most conformed, I would say, to the image of Christ, as far as how he lived. Not perfect, but a great example for us to follow. 
But he had absolutely no desire to be eminent at all. No desire at all. And I'm sure that he understood the temptation in speaking in that kind of way with these high-sounding words. It's not like he was immune to it or that he didn't know them, right? And there must have been, you know, I believe he was a very smart person. He was extremely illogical in his approach and how God worked in his life, right? But he had no desire to do that, but yet, I'm sure he had to deal with that kind of temptation, as we all deal with temptations from time to time. Especially, you can say, in his current context, being in Corinth, where that kind of speech was really prized and elevated. People wanted to hear that and listen to those types of teachers. Sadly, even if they didn't even understand what they were saying, they just valued that type of academia. You know, I've mentioned this before in my own seminary circle. There's a great deal of very, very smart people and very academic people. And again, there's a, there's a small place for that. I'll leave only a really small place for that. In fact, oftentimes, I know there's these is forums, is that the right word, where you can communicate, right? We have these forums in the seminary. It's a good thing. And I'm busy. I think I'm busier than a lot of the guys that do it. A lot of them have different types of jobs or, you know, they're able to dedicate maybe more time than I have to going full time. But I find myself... When I'm listening to them talk about certain theological topics, there is, I'm turned off by there's a lot of academic arrogance. There really is. And I don't think they mean it. I just think they're in that circle and there's a place for trying to understand theology, but <coughs> the arrogance is never good. You know, I've, I've one, one of the guys there that I've connected, connected really well with, he, uh, he's one of the pastors along with the president. Uh, in the church that, 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 that leads that whole thing. And uh, kind of like Paul, he has a reason to boast. This guy was a, a great athlete, okay? He could have played professional baseball. I think he pray, played semi-pro. He's 10 years younger than me. He, uh, he played two sports in college. He, he did this in like four years, doing an MDiv in four years, which is, that's tough to do. That's a lot, it's a lot of work, okay? And I've had great conversations where it's not like that with him, and it's a blessing to see someone being used by God but doesn't ever get into that kind of stuff. And it's just a, it's a blessing. So there's, I'm turned off when I see that, and we should be turned off from that kind of arrogance. There's no place for that within the church. Listen to what um, our Lord says to the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians. I like these verses, really, to help us have a, a good perspective. Right In chapter 1 of Colossians, I'll start reading from verse... 13, he says this, says, For he, talking about Jesus, says he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Every time we see that word rescue and you're on the receiving end of being rescued, is there any boast in anything? All you can boast of is in that one who rescued you, right? <laughs> says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and that is exactly where we were. We had no hope without Christ before he came into our lives. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What an amazing thing that is. And he, again, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation and firstborn here meaning in regards to rank. He is not a created being like Some denominations or some Christian religions would say that he was a created being. 
He is the firstborn. It doesn't say that He's the firstborn in creation, but of all creation. Right? He is the highest rank because of who He is. He is God. He is the uncreated creator of the universe. Therefore, if He is the one who created, He is the highest rank. Right? Verse 16. For by Him, all things were created. Well, right here, we know He's not a created being because by Him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. It says, all things that be created through Him and what? Here's very important. And for Him, right? Everything is for Him and His glory and His satisfaction. Then it says this in verse 17. He is before all things, again, talking about His deity, and in Him all things hold together. In other words, we don't, we're not deists here. Like a lot of people in the past, especially presidents in the past, that they, they acknowledged God. But the idea behind deism is that God creates and then He has nothing to do with His creation. It's almost like He just winds up a clock and He steps away. Can't be any further from the truth. No, God, this creation only holds together because God is constantly never stopping. He's always working. Right? He's always working. Okay? He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And that's important because we, were, we once were under the headship of Adam. Right? Who we were identified with Adam, and in Adam everyone dies. But in Christ, all are made alive in Him. He is now our new head. So He is the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He was the first to be raised to new life as we are raised and will be raised with Him so that He Himself will come to have what? First place in everything. Or preeminence, maybe some of your translations will say. It's the same thing. That there's only one room for one person to be eminent and especially preeminent. First place, the highest rank, belongs to Jesus Christ. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So again, as we're looking at this passage of Scripture, like we heard again in week, one of cha- week two of chapter one, there is no room for anyone else to have the preeminence but Christ and Christ alone. Should we value and respect godly people in our lives? Godly teachers, of course we should. But don't ever put them on a pedestal that only belongs to Jesus. Never do that. And if you're that person, that maybe people are looking up to you in that way, then you need to be like all the examples we have with the apostles, even in the Old Testament, of people who are godly. Do not, I am just a man, or an angel. I'm an angel, don't do that to me. There's only room for one that is to be magnified and elevated. And we are to be living witness to that. Do we fall short? Every day, right? Every day we fall short. But that's not an excuse to give up. But we are to press on. When we blow it, we repent. We ask for the forgiveness that really we already have, right? We embrace His mercies that are new daily. And we turn and just live for Him. Live with the goodness that, wow, the slate is clean again, right? It's a beautiful thing to be a part of 
God's kingdom, to be a part of His church. So then he says this in verse 2. He says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Again, the message of the cross needs no human help to make it clear. It's God's job to do that. But verse 2 here starts with an important word. Paul said that he was determined, the Greek word krinos. And this is, I would say, in a sense, a legal term. It means to judge or to evaluate, right? And it has to do with making a legal decision. And no legal decision, if you put yourself in a position of a judge. Now, unfortunately, we live in a very corrupt world and we have wicked judges. We get that, and that's sad, okay? But if we understand the position of a judge... It's a very important position, right? And any kind of legal decision is to be made, is not to be made without really careful thought and careful examination. Think about uh, we, the, um, the jury system that we have in this country. No one like, no, everyone dreads having to get called for jury duty, right? But it is actually a very important system. You know, the... Uh, What's that? Twelve Angry Men. Did you ever yeah. read that book? We read it in high school. They see that movie with uh, Henry Fonda, right? Yeah. And the idea, but it's, a, but it's a great thing because he was taking that very serious, right? And you had, I remember there was one person, I think he wanted to go to a ball game. He just wanted to get out of there really quick. Meanwhile, someone's life is at stake here, right? That means no legal decision is to be made just flippantly without any thought, right? It requires careful thought and careful examination. So Paul made a judgment. He made a personal decision, which was the right decision, the decision ordained by God that he believed in with all his heart and that he would not waver on. Albert Barnes mentions that he was resolute. Another important word, right, which is consistent with this word. We think of New Year's resolutions and really it's just vain words because most of the time we don't even put any value to what that word really means to be resolved about something or resolute right Paul was determined resolved that he would present the message of Christ his person his marvelous work which indeed saves that he would not add anything to it he would not focus on other pointless or secondary issues He would not elevate himself by speaking with high-sounding words. He would just be straight to the point. This is the message from the cross. My reasoning is going to start from here. And then we'll see where it leads us. But it starts from here, and it goes back to here. So, he was determined to present the gospel in all its purity, and do his best to make sure that they received it correctly and understood it. He wouldn't have it any other way, and we shouldn't have it any other way. As God's people, we are to be able to make a defense, to give a reason for the hope that that is in us. And we should have the same mindset. He wasn't going to establish a church that wasn't a church, right? He's writing to a church that was established, who was losing their way a little bit, right? So this was important. So then in verse 3, he says this. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, there are several things that this may mean. 
as far as like the particulars, but the gist of what he's saying goes back to what we have been discussing. Paul was a man that suffered greatly for the sake of the gospel. We know all the other apostles and disciples did suffer as well, but none to the magnitude of Paul. So this could mean his suffering. Acts chapter 9, right? After he got saved, God is speaking to Ananias about Paul. Ananias, wait, he's done a lot of harm, Lord. And the Lord says this to Ananias in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And God's not just being mean here. He's actually blessing Paul with a great blessing. It wasn't, it wasn't, if you look at it with different goggles, we don't look at suffering as a good thing. But a tremendous, it's a tremendous blessing for us to be able to suffer for righteousness. God is very clear in First Peter, blessed are you if you suffer for righteousness, right? Such an important thing. Um, listen to him now speaking concerning his sufferings in the second epistle to the Corinthians. He says this in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verses 23 to 30. It says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. I can't even wrap my mind around that. All right? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been in frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches." Showing his amazing heart. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weaknesses. So again, this idea in chapter and verse 3 that I was with you in weakness could be something to do with that. We also know that it can be another thing that Paul often worked as a tent maker, right? And here you have the Greek culture who everything was about eminence, right? And someone who's just a a tent maker who works with their hands, well, they're lowly people, right? And here Paul, though he had every right to be able to be compensated for what he was doing as an apostle, it was a God-given right for him to make his living that way and be supported, yet he laid down those rights for the sake of the gospel in whatever context he was in at times, if it was going to further the gospel, that he would work with his own hands on top of all the labor he would do that he would min- when he was minister. Right? That was a humble trade. So because Greeks prized those who have great esteem, this would seem very weak in their eyes. We also know that he was a man with very bad eyesight from Scripture, from Galatians. And also in Galatians chapter 4, 13, we read that it was because of a bodily illness 
that he preached the gospel to them the first time, that when he was there, he was sick for a great deal of time. It could have been, I think some commentators say malaria or something like that. But Paul really suffered, right? So that's kind of what he's talking about here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, it says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Now, this doesn't mean that he was a stuttering idiot, okay? But that he was simple and direct. It's a lot of evidence from extra-biblical sources, but even if we just read what we read about all that he went through, he probably wasn't much to look like, look at, right? He was a broken-down man, the Apostle Paul. When someone is beat to that magnitude, stoned, it's going to leave scars, you're not going to look like this wonderful, look at this guy, let's present him to everyone, he looks so good, right? Not the contrary, it was the contrary with Paul. His message was simple and direct. You must remember that Paul and this will help us, I think. Paul was a strict Pharisee, right? He had one of the most well-known teachers of his day in Galilamiel, whoever his name was, right? He was extremely smart and had somewhat of a lawyer's wit. He really did. And I really believe that if Paul wanted to, he could win any argument and make his opponents look like fools. And he had that temptation to be able to do that, but he refrained from doing it. If you look at how he reasoned, especially when he was on Mars Hill, we see someone who has the heart of Christ. Reasoning with these people in a gentle way. Just simply proclaiming the message in simplicity and in truth. And that's all that God requires of us. Is to just embrace the message of what Scripture says. Okay, And always start there as our reasoning. Let's look at verse 4. It says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And that is important. This is really, I think, the main point of what he's saying. They, the Corinthian church, who was part of this Greek culture that prized all these things, right? They were the witnesses of it because... It was his simple presentation of the gospel and however he looked physically, right, at that time that led to them being saved. It wasn't this high sound, these high-sounding words. It wasn't him being philosophical. It was him just giving the simple message of the truth. And they were living witnesses of the transforming power of the gospel when it falls on ears to hear. And we are those witnesses here today, are we not? Right? The gospel has fallen on our ears and we hear it not because we have ears to hear on our own but because God has given us those ears to hear. Yes, DJ. Interesting. In the ESV it says plausible words. Mm. <clears throat> Believable. Yeah. And I think we work too hard to try and make people believe. Yeah. Because I think we have a misunderstanding, you know, there is a place in Scripture where we, we hear of Paul persuading people, right? That we want, to, we, want to, we want to do our best to make them understand, and, and I get that. But oftentimes, we try so hard and we, 
we think somehow that we have a better way of doing it, that there's a better method of doing it. We shy away from God's word maybe as much as we should. Like we might, we want to use these other things. Like we've talked about it again the past few weeks. We we we'd rather start someplace else and then reason to the scriptures when we should be reasoning from the scriptures as our as our basis. And that's how it ought to be. And that's how it should be. And if it was any other way, it would prove to be futile and really powerless. Same thing for the Apostle Paul, right? Anything that rests on man's wisdom will prove to be powerless. And all you got to do is just look at any ideology that is out there, right? Any ideology that is out there in this world. It is proven to be a failure when it comes from man, <laughs> especially when it comes to something that's going to produce something as great as salvation. You know, man can never do that on their own. So it says in verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now can you imagine if it was any different? You know, can you imagine if our faith rested on a certain preacher or maybe his certain style? We may like a certain preacher, you may like a certain style, but if everything rested our own sanctification even, let's just say, rested on this person, well something has went horribly wrong. Our sanctification has nothing to do with a person. It has to do with the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. right? And He's the agent of our sanctification along with the Word. Certainly people teaching it accurately. It's all part of the equation. But, but who's doing all that? Who's the power of the preacher? Not the preacher, but the Holy Spirit. Who's the power of us understanding? Not us. The Holy Spirit. right? So nothing can depend on a person or it will fail. And this is why Paul rebuked it earlier. And is this not case again, the, the case again with the world. You know, whether man puts their trust in a politician, that's not going to last very long, right? You're just going to be disappointed. Or maybe an expert, how often does that happen? An expert maybe in a certain field of study and we put all our hope and trust in that person, yet there's multiple people probably in that same category and they may have a difference of opinion. And this is especially true, I would say, in the sciences, Right? Or do we put our faith in doctors? How often do we put our faith in doctors? And there's a place for doctors. But did you ever hear of second opinions? Mm-hmm. You can have second, third, fourth. You can, you can go to ten different doctors and Amen. you might get ten different opinions. So again, what does that mean on our, on our part? Yeah, we need to go to the doctor because they're qualified and they know maybe more than we do about something. But we still need to use this. We still need to use this and ultimately trust in God. You know, it's interesting, in any of these contexts, it's always the same data. It's just the interpretation of the data. Right? You think of evolution, creation. It's the same data. It's not, this is my science, this is your science. No. Science is the study of God's creation. Or the study of living and non-living things. If we take the secular definition, they probably change nowadays anyway. Right? Here is the science. I'm going to interpret it this way which is insane, or we can interpret it this way, which makes sense. God's way. And it will always make sense. So again, Paul is saying, look back to when you trusted and when you first believed. It is the same thing that you still believe today. Nothing changed, and nothing will change, right? The message that saved you was indeed perfect, 
and powerful to save and transform. So why are you getting caught up in the very thing that did not lead you to salvation? Right? That's essentially what he's saying. Nothing has that power. The message was quite simple, and in spite of its simplicity, this is another thing we need to realize. Most are not going to believe. Again, we are guilty so often, and maybe I'm just using this now, and no, I'm going to say this even whether it's in an evangelistic sense or if it's um, in a discipleship sense. We're guilty so often of thinking that we're the Holy Spirit, that we are going to convince people. We're not. It's the Holy Spirit's job. We are to just be instruments and vessels and proclaiming the truth and doing what we can do but the Holy Spirit has to do everything, has to do the work so again here's the church there are a demonstration a living demonstration of the supernatural power of the gospel again our reasoning is from the scriptures we acknowledge I think we learn from all this too you ever hear that well you're biased that kind of thing. You as a Christian, you have, you're biased. Say, yes, absolutely. Everyone is. There's no one that is unbiased. Everyone starts with the bias. There's nothing wrong necessarily with the bias. It's when you look at that bias and now you reason and you see if it makes sense logically. And guess what? Nothing makes more sense than what we believe in our system of belief and everything. So we have a bias. We should embrace it. Not be ashamed of it. Because everyone else has it too, whether they want to admit it or not. Okay, so we acknowledge that we have a great bias and we do not care. We shouldn't care. We should be thankful for that. Everyone starts that way. So let me just look at something just for application. It was somewhat mentioned, but I want to look at this. When I was looking at this and just looking at what Paul was saying, my mind was going, I think maybe somewhat someplace else. And I think we have to put ourselves for a second. I think that will help us to understand what Paul is saying. Let's put ourselves in Paul's shoes. And maybe we can relate, some of us. But if we put ourselves in his shoes, we can maybe take that into our own context. I don't know what that is for you guys as individuals. But if we put ourselves into Paul's shoes, just for a moment, we'll see and be reminded of what and who Paul was. Philippians chapter 3, turn there. I'm so tempted to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read the first 11 verses. You mentioned this a little bit as far as what he went through. But I want to take a look at the apostle in his natural state before he was redeemed. Okay? says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision. He's talking about the church who are circumcised of the, in the heart, right? Who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And then he says, and put no confidence in the flesh. And now he's going to go turn to himself and he say, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, he says, 
I far more. What is he saying? He circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, high sect, right? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know Him. He didn't know Him at all during that time. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And you can continue reading on the rest of that chapter. It's so good. But here... We are reminded of how elite Paul actually was in his own realm or context, right? As a Jew. Most of us here, maybe a few of you, right? Are not quite in the elite. So really, that just means we are in a better position or an easier position to depend on the wisdom and power of God rather than man's. That's one of the reasons why he saves ordinary you know, when, when someone is so elite like Paul was, it's a lot easier, though everyone can still fall into this trap, it's a lot easier to start depending on yourself and all that you know and all, all whatever your, your stature and all that kind of stuff. So Paul kind of had it all. He was born in the right family. He had the right citizenship. We didn't read that here, but we know that he was a Roman. As a matter of fact, when he said that, before he went on his journey back to Rome, they were scared when he said that he was a Roman, right? They knew not to put your hands on a Roman citizen. He had the right teacher, a really good teacher. He was smart. He was zealous. All things that we can say are are good, not necessarily bad. But he counted those things of no value. And the reason was because they had no spiritual power to transform and save. You know, I think about again, uh, think about Paul's thorn in the flesh for a moment. And, you know, there's always debate on what that means. I, I, I have my own belief of what I think that means. We know that Paul was taken up into the third heaven. Right? And yet he was not permitted to speak. Paul had an experience, a wonderful experience, and yet it had no value to save or to produce anything of salvation, he was not permitted to speak of it. It was for him. Should we use those for Christ's glory? If you have gifts and stuff like that, natural gifts that maybe God gives you, of course we should. We have talents and stuff like that. Certainly we should use that for God's glory. But we are to, we are to be ministers of the truth first. And that truth 
has nothing to do with our abilities, naturally. That truth is found in God's Word, which we cling to. And all of us here, not just the teachers in this room, all of us here are to be ministers of the truth, especially to the body of Christ first. But we're to be ministers of truth when we're out in our own context, in our world, with our jobs and all that. We are to be a light for Christ, both in our actions, right, and our words. And if we stick to that and depend on the Spirit's help, we're guaranteed success. We're guaranteed success. So the choices are, so I'll just leave off this morning, and I'm ending a little bit earlier. Like Joshua said to the nation of Israel, I always love it. Let us choose for ourselves this day whom we will serve and how, if we're going to serve God, we serve Him His way. Right? You don't serve Him in your power. You serve Him surrendered to the Holy Spirit's power, abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit. And when you do those things, you will have... Well, you'll have prosperity and success, right? He said, do not let the book of the Lord depart from your mouth, right? When you do that, I'm not going to botch up that verse right now, but he follows that, then you're going to have success. We have success when we do things God's way, right? So let's do that. Amen? Sean? I can't help but to go back and... You know, looking at how the verses, um, the chapters laid out, and focus, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. You know, um, thinking about the frailty of man and how how great a message, how great a grace that we were given, you know, to be able to have, you know, the message of salvation, to be able to uh, witness. And yet, you know, Paul is here, and how everybody's focusing on virility or strength and stature or speech or whatever it may be, and he's, you know, again, it's the message that has power. It's not the man. Amen. You know, and, and that's why I like it, because he goes back to the sense that even though he's not downplaying himself, it's not a, a false humility, because he is saying, listen, I do have qualifications here. But the point is, is that I am just a man. I am but a man. In me, you know, I suffer iniquities. I suffer all these things as the the rest of you do. Um, And here, you know, it is the message. You know, it's not a persuasive speech, but a demonstration of the spirit and the power. And I like it because, again, you know, when we look at it, um, we do have a tendency to obviously lift people up who fall into a category of, of uh, whether it be uh, beauty or strength or something that we call in high regard. And um, we do not look in the fact of how powerful you know, the message is to take broken vessels such as ourselves and use it for His honor and glory. Mm. And you know, just to follow that, Sean... Again, looking at the heading in my Bible. Many of your Bibles might have that uh, above chapter 2. But again, it's right in what we read. Paul's reliance on the Spirit. Not in our own natural abilities, but just our reliance on the Spirit. Again, what do we always say? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Right? But we have to believe what this Word is actually saying. 
And that's why we come here every day. That's why we should be doing our own personal devotions and do what we do. But we, we come here to worship Him, to be reminded that, again, our existence is to please Him. And we can't do that if we're not going to actually truly believe with all our heart what He says and can cling, cling to it. Right? It's so important. DJ. Yeah, um, we have to hear, you know, I, there are people who have trouble with you know, hearing voices, and we think somehow that, oh, well, we don't have that problem. We have other voices all around us. The uh, You touched on the word expert. I always think of expert as oversized opinion. Uh, there are people who were gravitating toward one teacher or another. Paul had determined, he had made a law in himself, just as a uh, the psalmist says that they had made a covenant with their eyes and they had said in themselves "This is I'm, I'm going this far and no farther it, all truth belongs to God but it has to be truth all the way through mm. and that's why we absolutely must keep our hearts and minds focused on what God has said not what man has said yeah well, like how you said, we go this way, not any further. People tend to, if they are gravitating toward one teacher or another, there's this loyalty that yeah. develops, and they tend to, they won't put the person down when they have spoken a, an untruth. That's dangerous. That loyalty, yeah. and that's and that we have to guard ourselves against. Sure, absolutely, I agree. Amen. No, I agree a hundred percent. But with that being said, it is that time, and we'll close. And I'm going to have an expert. Right here, an expert in nurse practitioning. Pray for us, please. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again uh, for this day. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to listen to your words again now today, oh Father in heaven, regarding uh, the knowledge of man, the wisdom of man, in regards uh, to your wisdom, oh Lord. Lord, thank you so much for your reminders of us, oh Lord. And Lord, may continue to be with us, O oh Father, to uh, hear your words again as Pastor preaches. Be with him, O oh Father. Speak to him, O oh Lord. And uh, open up our hearts and our minds, O oh Father. And continue to be with us uh, as we fellowship uh, together, O oh Lord. This we ask to your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.